Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. So hi, everyone. We're back with episode six, and this week we've moved into the Liverpool Podcast Studios. Mm-hmm. Going we've, up in the world. We've upped our game. Um, the sound quality was so bad, <laughs> so bad last week that I think we've maybe overcorrected. Yeah, yeah. We had feedback that we sounded like we were trapped in a tiny box with the microphone outside the box. <laughs> so anyone who's worked that hard to listen to the last episode is being rewarded with hopefully some better audio quality <laughs> this week. Um, and chart news, Tom? Well, we are we are romping up the, uh, <laughs> the investing business charts to number 80 in the UK. Out of how many? Uh, well, I mean, let's not say 81, but we're not, we're not quite sure. Uh, millions, millions, you know, top 100, top 10, here we come. Yeah, so last week we did the Heatwave special. I think that was the most popular episode yep. to date. Um, so things are going in the right direction, at least. Um, and what we didn't mention last week, though, is that you can get in touch with us. Yep. Info at, sorry, no, not info at. <laughs> this, is, this is why. Did you set that email address up? <laughs> yeah. It's podcast at circa5000.com. And we'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. We'd love to hear your questions, any feedback. Only good, obviously. Well, I mean, if it's constructive, send it to matt at circa5000.com. <laughs> so on to this week. And um, Tom, as I said to you, there was two things that really caught both our eye this week that we wanted to talk about. Um, one was something that sort of proved me right from a couple of episodes ago. So I think it's very important that whenever that happens, <laughs> that we bring it up. Can we do it when you prove wrong as well? Can <laughs> that I bring never that happens. <laughs> but I predicted that we'll see more press on the inadequacy of ESG and calling out ESG and that, and just basically sort of saying that ESG is dead. And the, the front page of The Economist, basically everywhere other than the UK, and their two headline podcasts this week, both the Money Talks one and the Economist main podcast, ran the, the main headline, which is ESG, three letters that won't save the world. Yeah. And it was largely agreeing with what, what, what we say about ESG, or at least the tone of it. Yeah. Um, and, and almost just sort of calling out that what we've said, which is a lot, when you bundle those three things together, you end up with something that's, largely ineffective, can be manipulated and leads to people often thinking that they're buying something that they're not actually getting. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we, you know, we've, we've critiqued it, you know, quite heavily in this podcast and in the past. Um, and uh, we kind of agree with the, with, with the article. Um, the way that ESG is being used generally in the asset management industry is, is uh, won't result in any major change of the way the status quo already operates. That's our critique of it. I suppose the, the the danger though is that we've always said and we've always seen and other people in the industry who work in impact investing have said that ESG should really be looked at as like a stepping stone to proper impact investing, which is kind of how we view it. They are compatible together in some ways, but they are, they are very, very different. The danger that we're seeing though and the danger with that article and other things that has been produced is that people don't go that step further. They just see ESG they see it's 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 rubbish and it's been critiqued by all these you know reputable um traditional uh, asset management finance professionals and then that's it 
You know, they just yeah. go, go back, they revert to the, to the traditional ways of doing things and any chance to, to, to jump forward in a stepping stone to real proper impact investing um, is lost because these people just critiqued it and that's it. And, and that brings us on to the second thing, which was there was, a, there was a short clip put out by CityWire, which is an industry publication, which was the, the Wealth CEO Summit. And I won't name the firms, I won't name the individuals, but you can look up that 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 uh, video if you if you like. It was a short video of five of the CEOs of the largest wealth firms in the UK. Um, you know, some of these companies are FTSE 100 listed companies. That's mm-hmm. the size of them, um, and they're basically saying that their clients should prioritise combating inflation or dealing with inflation over. ESG, yeah, and the important thing to understand here with ES with ESG in that context is that the industry views ESG as the sustainable solution. It views yeah. it as the as the next wave. They, they're not even thinking about impact investing no. yet properly. No. So the the summary of that that video was basically that you know some of the largest CEOs, some of the CEOs of the largest firms in our industry or in the wealth industry or in the in the money management industry are basically saying, well, ESG isn't all it's cracked up to be. Inflation's more important anyway. So the solution is ditch any consideration mm-hmm. for any sort of positive environmental or, or other outcome and just invest in what you like. Almost the handcuffs are off us <laughs> and this is our excuse to, to bin all that rubbish that, that, that the hippies and the weirdos have been talking about and back into the good old days, we can invest in what we like. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it was like a little bit of a flashback uh, for, for me and for you for our, our first time in the industry. And it seemed like um, that there'd been a little bit of pent up, like finally we can, we can do what we've always wanted to do again. You know, we don't even need to pretend that we're doing something else. Like we had to talk about ESG because that was like uh, the way that we can still frame what we're doing in a sustainable way, but continue to do what we've always been doing. And now we can just do what we're, now we can actually say what we really wanted to say, which yeah. is do everything else apart from this, continue to do what we've always been doing um, and have absolutely no regard for what the real world economic impact of the underlying companies and the investments you're making are doing. Just earn money and it doesn't matter where it's from. I mean, the interesting thing was that they they agreed that they, basically all of their clients um, care about the climate, yeah. climate change. Mm-hmm. And they also agreed that, that, and it was an odd question, but they also believed that they believe in climate change. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and yet they didn't see it. They, they, they see the issue as firmly someone else's problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as we went, when we talked about the, the, the heat wave special last week, and we talked about the, the scale of climate change as an issue and how, mm-hmm. how you solve it, mm-hmm. how you get from 51 billion tons of CO2 equivalent output to zero, which yep. is the mission yep. that we're on. Everyone has to take some responsibility. Everyone has to change every aspect of what they can. Some industries will be more effective than others, mm-hmm. as in they're responsible for a greater proportion. They're directly responsible for things and therefore they can have a direct impact. Other industries like wealth management or investments, yep. perhaps their impact isn't as direct. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worrying that you've got the, the CEOs of the top firms in this country yep. who see it as someone else's problem, see it as a client preference. Mm. If our clients ask for this, we'll do something about it. But we just sort of, yeah. we'll just do the bare minimum or even just ditch it yeah. unless we're forced to. Yeah. The first moment they've had to throw it out and they've thrown it out. 
Um, and it's worrying because, you know, when you look at, you look at the timeframes that you've got to solve climate change and you look at the scale of the problem, you can't sort of get on the horse one year and then get off the horse next year. I mean, it's, it's, it's worrying. Yeah. And it's, you know, the only, the only positive I can see is giving something to talk about this, this yeah. week. <laughs> it's, it, it's worrying, but I think it, you know, reiterates a point that not necessarily made on the podcast yet, but the real change has to come from outside the traditional industry. Yeah. That's what we saw. We spent time in that industry. We spent eight, you know, eight years working in traditional wealth management, asset management. We saw that change wasn't going to come from within that. It had yeah. to come from new companies uh, taking on uh, that challenge and iterating, developing something faster that people really want and, and, and scaling it. That's the only way that I think asset management will be pulled in this direction in the same way that the car industry is now having to make electric vehicles. The asset management industry, the wealth management industry needs to be pulled and it, it'll take people outside of the industry like us doing it. Yeah, yeah. So if you're into dinosaur movies, <laughs> if you like Jurassic Park and you want to see a lot of dinosaurs on the screen at the same time, Seek out that video and watch yeah, it because it's pretty t- good. Ten minute highlight video of what the first eight years of Matt and my personal life was like. <laughs> I'll probably get us into it already. Yep. Um, so it sparked what we wanted to talk about this week. Really, is inflation. And if you're a long term impact investor, which is what we're we're about, how you should think about well, what is inflation first of all, yeah. and how you should think about it, and and how we're thinking about it, and we're mm. not thinking of and, and you know. Spoiler alert, we're not thinking of it as, a, as an excuse to throw any sort of consideration for where your money's invested for impact out the window and just pile into all com- oil companies. But Tom, as always with anything technical, <laughs> I'll come to you. I was and, hoping you'd answer it. And just ask, very briefly <clears throat> first, just to set the context, what's inflation? Yeah, so... Textbook simple definition would be, you know, inflation is the sustained rise in overall price levels of goods and services in the economy. Um, a moderate level of inflation, <clears throat> two, 2.5% per year, that's seen as generally good. Um, the reason why that's that's seen as good is it indicates that uh, there's good growth, there's, there's a set amount of money going towards buying a certain amount of goods, um, and there's perhaps not quite enough of those goods and services to meet that demand. That means that more people will produce those goods and services and that will create growth. And growth is seen as, a, as generally a good thing, increases the overall uh, size of the pie for everybody. Um, too high inflation, <clears throat> generally not seen as uh, uh, as a good thing um, because of uh, what it does to uh, uh, affordability of goods and services. You've seen stories of hyperinflationary environments in the past and what that does to the value of money. And it can, it can you know, result in a very volatile, um, a volatile and, and economy. highly destructive. Highly destructive to kind of every area of how the, the, the modern economic systems are built. Um, and and so that good level of inflation, 2.2 to 2.5%, that's what you know, the, the, the major economies of the world target each year. Yeah. Um, and they have various tools at which we can talk about to try and, to try and get to that level. Um, and obviously, as we are right now, we're above those levels in the, in the UK. Yeah, and we've and not US really experienced economies. high inflation for a long, no. a long, long time, really. No. No. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's come on quick, yeah. basically. You know, it's, it's really, really since the, since the start of the, um, well, COVID, there was rumours of, of whether COVID would, would yeah. and all of the stimulus that went into economies during COVID and, all, and, and the supply chain issues with COVID, there was rumours that you would start to see inflation pick up. Yeah. But then what's really sort of spurred it on is the, the, the Russian invasion of, yeah. of Ukraine. Yeah, the Russia-Ukraine situation. So you saw coming out of COVID, 
it was hypothesized that inflation would rise anyway. As you've said, there was a lot of stimulus and then the, the economies would, would, would open and all that money would flood into the economies and that would um, result in prices rising. Um, that did happen a little bit in some countries more than others, but it's hard to, you know, hard to argue that that didn't have some kind of impact. But the real kicker came when, you know, uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation kicked off and it disrupted um, the energy markets um, and disrupted um, uh, specifically the grains market within, yeah. within food and agriculture and all those supply chains. I mean, I think Russia-Ukraine combined produce about 11% of the world's grains. So it has a huge yeah. impact. On and wheat the, in particular. Wheat Ukraine in particular, has a, yeah. I think Ukraine is something like 20% yeah. of the world's wheat production. Yeah, um, it's huge. So you see that coming through all sorts of things. So directly in energy prices, directly um, uh, through price of fuel and energy. Um, and it also takes fuel and energy to produce other stuff. So it, yeah. it kind of seeps into all, all parts of the system. And then you've got all food and agriculture goods. So the price of importing certain goods like, gra- like grains like wheat has gone, has gone through the roof too. So that's coming through in our inflation figures, specifically in the UK. And I think it's important to to differentiate here as to this supply chain mm. inflation. Mm-hmm. The other way you get inflation is when economies get too hot. Yeah, the booming and the growing. As in the booming, there's much too much money going on. Yeah. And that's that's demand. So in other yeah. words, everyone has a load of money. Everybody's competing to buy things with all this money. Mm-hmm. And that 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 then causes prices to go up to to yeah. as a normal supply and demand. You know, yeah. it's, it, that's kind of like good Good high inflation in a way, and and it's and in in that sense, your your local government mm. can can and your your central banks mm-hmm. actually have way more control over combating that inflation. Yeah, because the normal way to do that is that the central banks will pump interest rates up. Yeah, and when you have higher interest rates, basically money becomes more expensive. Yeah, and therefore, a people are more encouraged to to save, yeah. but also borrowing becomes more expensive so people are discouraged to borrow yeah you stamp out that that sort of overgrowth if you like and yeah. and with it you you stamp inflation the trouble is is and if you've if you've you know in the uk if you're following the sort of conservative leadership um race and, and those debates is that they're arguing about how they can solve inflation mm. and they're turning to those mechanisms or they're mm-hmm. pointing towards those mechanisms as in we won't tax you know, there's an argument over whether you should tax cut because if yeah. you tax cut, the argument is is that people have more money in their pocket because they're not spent, they're not paying the taxes mm-hmm. with it, and therefore there'll be more money in the system, and therefore the demand will get boosted, and therefore inflation will will ramp again. Yeah, but this inflation is not caused by our economy being no. hot. No, and and globally, it's not really caused by economies being hot. No, in fact, <laughs> we have the we have the opposite problem. Yeah, which is there's no growth, yeah. but there is high inflation. Yeah. And this inflation's caused by these external yeah. factors. You know, it's driven by, as you say, the high price of oil. It's driven by the high price of natural gas. It's driven by the high price of food yeah. and food prices increasing. And there's very little that mm. in in the UK, from a UK perspective, that the central the, the, the central <clears throat> bank in the UK, uh, you know, the Bank of England, or any government can do to really yeah. const- can really get a grip of this. Yeah. The only thing that they can perhaps do is try and, you know, again, if you're following the UK politics, there's an, there's a, there's an argument from one of the candidates and the leader of the opposition about the focus should squarely be on growth. Yeah. Stimulating growth 
taking the higher inflation for a period of time yeah. because then you are getting growth with the inflation yeah. as opposed to high inflation that you can do nothing about, but yet you're still raising interest rates, which just has a negative impact on day-to-day lives of everybody and, and the economy. Yeah. Um, and I think that sounds, you know, from an investment perspective and from a long-term economic path perspective, the growth option sounds more logical, but we've been, yeah. that, that's the key distinction between types of inflation. This is not demand-driven. This is not growth-driven. This is a supply chain disruption that needs to work its way through the system needs to come sort of some sort of resolution um, whilst we're trying to stimulate growth and get back on a path of economic growth. And, and you know, long term, it's sort of highlighted this 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 new phrase as these these things. You know, whenever there's an issue or whenever there's a there's a there's a there's a news thing that sticks around, phrases appear. One of the phrases that's appeared is this idea of energy security, mm. and the idea of energy security being that well. We're exposed to uh, oil and and gas, and particularly from Russia. Yeah. And therefore, we need to bring our energy in-house in order to shield ourselves from future disruption to this supply. Yeah. And therefore, shield ourselves from, you know, volatile prices. Yeah. And as an impact investor, energy security, I think it's slightly dangerous yeah. topic yeah. and i think oil prices are an interesting factor with it when you're thinking it yeah. of investments particularly from an impact point of view yeah well should we chat about nuclear first then we can discuss the, the oil price link you're desperate to talk about <laughs> nuclear so talking about nuclear because so when i first started working in impact investing it seemed like everybody agreed that nu- nuclear meant bad basically yeah. you don't do nuclear and i think the more you read especially when people like you know we mentioned bill gates last week in his book on climate change um and Anybody really who spent a lot of time looking at it will say that nuclear has to at least form part of the mix because yeah. um, it's uh, it is a form of renewable energy. Um, obviously, very very low in terms of uh, you know carbon emissions, um, and it enables any country who has a good nuclear mix to have energy security themselves. And the prime example of this in Europe is is France. Obviously, we're not the perfect parallel to France in terms of you know culture, regulation, etc. But they have about seventy percent of their energy mix coming from nuclear. And that's meant that recently the, 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 you know, the French government, the French people have only seen a 4% rise in, in energy costs compared that to ours, which has been yeah. you know, you know, orders of magnitude bigger. Um, and that's because they've got that such a large nuclear energy mix where you compare that to, to ourselves. If you looked at it yesterday, we had about 15% from nuclear, um, 45% from renew- renewables, which is great. The problem is that, that that percentage of renewables varies significantly throughout the year. With the weather. With, with the weather, weather. With, the sun, with the sunlight. It's very hard to store it and pass it through the year, et cetera, whereas nuclear, always available. Um, and then we've still got a big component part, the rest being from some form of fossil fuels that were, were heavily reliant on other yeah. nations. So we've got our renewable energy mix, which is great when, it, when it's available for us and it works. And then uh, we've got an over-reliance on everybody else for the rest. So it leaves us in a bit of a precarious position. And so the, the debate within, within impact investment circles really is that nuclear has proven over the past six decades that it's now safe um there's only been two major incidents um compare that to other forms of energy it looks very 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 safe there's obviously two very publicized incidents which are very emotional um but the evidence suggests now that you know safety is much more improved the way we you know uh, dispose of waste is much more improved should that form part of a renewable energy future for every country and you're looking at the plants that are alive now yeah. You know, these have these plants have a long lead in time. That's so the, the design and the technology and the safety yeah. of the plants is today's design. You know, it's today's design. It's not 
50s, yes. 60s, 70s. Exactly, yeah, exactly. The, I mean, the, the downsides, the issues with it, like you just said, it's going to take time to spin up new. You can't just go, we'll have a new nuclear power plant, please. It yeah. takes a lot of time and there's a lot of upfront costs compared to every other form of energy. Yeah. Once you have them running, the cost is exceptionally low amongst the lowest. Yeah. It's just the political will, time and money to get us set up. But France took that, um, you know, took that cost and took that time commitment in the 70s. And now they're, they're kind of reaping the rewards from it. And uh, other countries, I think, are looking long and hard about how they think about nuclear. And I think as impact investors, it should be a part of the conversation and it shouldn't be blanket ruled in or out. Each company who's producing it should be looked at from an impact perspective. Um, but I think it's time to properly reintroduce nuclear into the mix of at least consideration. And, and the other way to think about it, for, for the, you know, that, that I would think is, well... You're not going to get there on renewables alone no. right now. No. So the UK can't 100% power itself off solar, no. wind, no. and other renewables, just because of what fact. we've just yeah, talked yeah. about. So your options are really coal or nuclear. Mm-hmm. That's your option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we know that coal guarantees harm. <laughs> yeah. It guarantees CO2 emissions. It guarantees poor air quality guarantees all the negative things for the whole time it's on. Yep. Whereas the other option is nuclear where, okay, there's this disposal aspect, yep. that, the decommissioning aspect. But as you say, the record on that's actually very, yep. very good. Yeah. So what do you t- which options do you take? And there's not, a, there's not really another one. No. So you've got to be pragmatic. You yep. want to solve the, you know, you want to keep the lights on. You want to be able to deliver energy. You want to deliver more electricity as we transition away from uh, fossil fuel powered vehicles and things like this. Yeah. You need that, as you say, the mix and you need an always on source of power. Yes, which is you nuclear. can't just go, well, it's not windy today, so we can't drive my car. <laughs> so, you know, you need, yeah. you, and that's obviously simplifying no, things, but, it's, but, it's, but, yeah. but you, you need, you need the, a proper mix and therefore it's coal or it's basically coal or nuclear yeah. at this point. Yeah. And I mean, nuclear to, to, to me towards the more we've looked at it is like, is the, is imperfect, but it's the pragmatic long-term solution. Um, but as it stands in the UK, it doesn't seem like there's much talks to, to bring that in, but the, I think the, the, the fundamentally needs to be. Um, and it, interestingly enough, in, in early stage investing, there's a, lot more, uh, there's a lot more investments being made in forms of nuclear energy now again. Um, and I think that's a recognition of the security element of it and it, it being the always on, you know, renewable source of energy that, that, yeah. that we need long-term. So that's, as an impact investor, inflation probably the short summary of that is that it raises the question of, or it brings nuclear back onto the yep. agenda. And we generally think that that's the right way to go. Yep. The other interesting bit is oil prices. Yeah. So when oil prices are spiking, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that happen. Yeah. One is that oil companies make record profits. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's factors of that, that that we can talk about. And, and the other is that, what should happen is that people go, well, we can't be reliant on, on oil as an energy source because the price is too volatile. What do we do when we're, when we're forced to pay so much for it? And therefore it should spark a, yeah. a, 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 a refocus on other forms of energy yeah. um, and, and help clean clean energy companies. So what have we seen on, on that side? Yeah, it's just, there's, yeah there's, 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 there's those two, two, maybe three elements of it, you know, high oil prices, um, on one side, oil companies earn loads of money and it incentivizes them to drill more, to drill more oil and further their operations. Um, 
on the on the other side, which is the positive that you mentioned, is it makes renewable energy sources look even cheaper. So you'd think that there's more diversion towards renewable energy sources. And it's a bit of a mixed picture overall as to whether that actually happens in reality. Yeah. There's incentives all over the place. But what if you look at our, our themes um, um, in the Circa 5000 portfolios, you see that in the past, you know, two quarters um, with inflation rising global stock markets have been choppy there's no there's no escape yeah. in that that's the same for for everybody in equity markets um but one of the one of the shining lights has been the the clean energy theme that, that that's on the that's on the is in the app on the platform which performed very very well because i think there's there's now a renewed focus on those forms of energy because of high oil prices because of the energy security reasons that we've said and so those companies have been producing um record revenues record profits themselves as clean energy companies because you have this incentive to look towards those companies during these times of high oil prices and during times of uh, energy uh, insecurity. Um, so that's the positive element of it, definitely. But there's obviously the other side of it, which is oil companies and oil producing nations doing more because they can earn more money. You're never going to get away from that in the short term. The other element is a lot of the traditional oil, com- oil companies are devoting a lot of resources, some of them, to um, renewable energy and, yeah. and investing in renewable energy. And so uh, a more positive version of the negative argument is they'll have more money to then dedicate to uh, investing in renewable energy. And unfortunately, the, the, the truth is for, you know, not for impact investors, but for us as a global society is we do need these renewable energy companies to do that. Uh, sorry, these oil com- the oil yeah. producing companies to do that. We need them on board in the transition. It's wishful thinking to think that we don't. In the same way that we need generic asset management companies to adopt impact investing, we can't just lambast them because they're traditional. We need them on board. We need them to divert what they're doing. The same is applied to traditional oil companies. So if they have more money to dedicate to this, then that's one positive that can come of them having record profits. They have an opportunity, they which have is the point. Yeah. So they, you know, they could actually say, well, let's accelerate our transition. Because they know, look... Oil's a finite resource yeah. by definition. Yeah, they know that. So, you know, if you it, it's it's a it's a once you know in a couple of decade decade opportunity to actually say right, we've made record profits. We we know we've got to make this transition. We could accelerate it. We could invest all those record profits in the transition. Yeah. Unfortunately, probably won't be the case because also what happens with record oil prices is that some you know some extractions suddenly starts to look more viable yes. than it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know if it costs you. Let's just use some rough numbers. If it costs you twenty five dollars to dig a barrel barrel of oil out the ground, yeah, then you've got to build in some margin there. Yeah, if if oil prices are twenty two dollars a barrel, doesn't make sense to dig that oil out the yeah. ground. Yeah. If oil is one hundred and thirty dollars a barrel, suddenly this 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 yeah. stock of oil in the in the ground suddenly becomes viable. All the so, old difficult wells become viable. Yeah, you've seen and, it. You've seen it happen in the past. And also, the difficult wells become more attractive from a security point of view. Mm. So if that if that difficult well is closer to home, yeah. suddenly you go well. Actually, yeah. at these prices, it makes economic sense. Yeah, and it's also there's a, there's no supply chain issue with this well. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it's yet to be seen what will happen there. But you know, it's you would hope. I think it's nothing more than hope, really, that that at least some of those record profits go into the transition because yeah. they talk a good game, but the numbers always yeah. seem to disappoint. Yeah, yeah, they do. So the mi- mixed picture, um, it'll only be really seen, you know, super long-term what happens there. And I think the, the, the hope would be oil prices moderate uh, over time, like they've done in the past, and then it makes those, you know, more... Uh, uh, more more costly uh, wells to drill, you know, redundant again. Uh, and by that point, you know, other forms of renewable energy, renewable energy become even cheaper. I mean, solar and winds become so cheap over the past few decades that hopefully by that point, the transition is is more pronounced than it even is today. So go back to, let's go back to the, the, the question that we were trying to answer, which is, 
if you're a long-term impact investor, yeah. there's some of the factors that are that are at play. There's some of the things that are that are happening in the market. Do you think there's 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 a, a need to radically change the approach that you're taking now? Yeah. And chase, you know, rip up the rule book, throw out any sort of positive impact considerations and just chase that inflation plus return benchmark like the like the wealth CEOs are going to do? Mm-hmm. Or or is it or is there still an argument to sort of stay the course? You know, well, I'm obviously going to say uh, stay the course, but that's not just, that's not just because we do what we do. That's because we've been investing this way for, you know, 12 years, you know, per- personally now. And um, I think that... It's very, very hard whenever you're trying to make short-term investment uh, movements to, to do those successfully. Yeah. We've talked about that in the past yeah. with trading single-line stocks. But the same can be said about trying to reposition your investments for the next three months, six yeah. months. Nobody really has a firm idea of uh, exactly when inflation is going to calm down. But what you can what you can say with more confidence is that over time, it will be managed down to that 2 2.5% level because that's yeah. what we've done throughout or history. Or closer to it. Or closer to it, than it definitely, than it is now. Yeah. What we're experiencing is a period of time with supply disruption that will not always be the case. Yeah. And so are you really going to give up all your impact investing principles for potentially a very, very short time period that you won't be able to call uh, well yourself? The professional money managers can't themselves anyway. And so as a long-term investor and a long-term impact investor, it will it will still pay to stay the course and keep investing this way. And these are designed to be super long-term investments, five, seven, 10 years plus. And so the next three to six months overall, if you stay invested and stay true to those principles of investing that we talk about, will have um, will have a muted impact on your overall uh, chances um, and your outcomes in that 10-year time period. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's quite, it's not funny, but it's odd that these the, the CEOs of companies that are trying to instill, they're trying to say the same long-term message as we say. <laughs> you know, when, when wealth managers don't try and sell their clients on short-term investment products. No doesn't do well for either of them, the client yeah. or the business. But the, the, yet they seem to sort of, this seems quite like a reactionary thing to sort yeah. of say, right, we'll throw up everything, throw out everything that we've that we've got now because they've not performed that well. And we need to now position to try and beat inflation just this calendar year. Yeah. Basically, that's that's yeah. what we want to do. Yeah. Actually, is that is that the way to be thinking about the next 5, 10, 15 yeah. years? And I think the other thing is, is, you know, Stocks, stock markets have been volatile, but stock markets are volatile. I've gone down because they look ahead to what yes. they think is coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they price in, you know, it's called price in. They basically reflect that they think bad news is coming yeah. and, and therefore they've moved almost before the bad news has necessarily hit. Yeah. And then what tends to happen is as the news starts to improve, they'll start to, yeah. you know, they start to move back up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it depends on your, as always, it depends on your, time horizon yeah you know if you're investing for the next 10 15 20 plus years then how how much do you want to overreact and overcorrect to to your investments today to yeah. for the next 3 to 6 months when there's no guarantee that anything any action you take yeah actually is the right call makes any difference? Does yeah. anything positively yeah. for you? Yeah, it's just it's the same parallel with the short term trading stuff. The other thing I would I would add is, oh, these these wealth managers. It makes you think, what were they in before? They were probably in 
the, the highest valued tech stocks because that's what they've been chasing. Been chasing those highly priced tech stocks. They've come off the most because they were so yeah. uh, highly valued. And now they're having to reposition to something and defend their decisions. It, the way they've talked about how short-term they are in that conversation makes you think they were short-term before. Yeah. Whereas if you're a long-term impact investor, you, you, you're building a portfolio that's, that's designed to perform well over the long-term and you don't need to look at it and make short-term tilts because A, you, you probably won't be able to do that right. Nobody can. And B, that's not that's not what it's designed to do. Yeah, and and it, it sort of goes back to the fundamentals of why you choose to put your your cash into investments. Yeah, is that you, your returns are less stable, mm-hmm. as in they move up and down. Yeah, but over the long term, the trend tends to be that they move up and yeah. they move up more than cash. Yeah. The thing is, as well, is is if you're holding, if you've got savings, you've got cash that you that you're looking to save for the next. 10, 20 years. Inflation is eroding that value of cash at, yeah. what, 10%-ish yeah, yeah, yeah. at the moment? Yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe interest rates have gone up a bit, so call it nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so if you're in real, the value of your money in real terms, in, in the ability for it to buy things in the market is going down at like 9%, 8 9%, 10% a year. Yeah. And you're looking to commit that money for the next 10 years, 20 years, then... Where, where is the best place to put your money? Yeah. Well, yeah, it, the ride might be a bit rockier yeah. in stocks and shares yeah. and in those long-term impact investments. But let's go back to what we were saying yeah. right at the very start of the episode that we yeah. called Impact Investing, is if you are investing for that long-time period, where do you want your money to be? Where are the areas do you think that will, that will shape the future? Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, impact investing and, and to a degree just general stock market investing yeah. is that investment in human progression, the progression of, of, of just economic growth yep. globally over the long term. Yeah. So there's not, you know, it's a, don't just do something, stand there, I think is the phrase. It's <laughs> yeah. just sort of yeah. hold tight maybe. Yeah. The long, the long, the long term picture for, for investing broadly is still 100% intact. We've been through these periods before and the long term picture for impact investing is, is there more than ever. Um, and our argument is that in, by investing in these long-term structural trends underpinned by positive environmental and social factors, you have the chance to earn outsized returns over the long term, um, over 10, 15, 20-year time period. That's still true today as it was last year. Yeah. Feels like a good place to stop ranting. <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully that's given a little um, overview of where we're at with inflation, some some of the industry views, the temptation to when... You know, when there's other factors at play, like inflation that hasn't been around for a long time, that that there's certain voices that will say, time to lose any consideration for anything else, no point paying the green premium and all this type of thing. But actually, if you're long-term you, you, and you're a long-term impact investor, then the case still holds true. Um, and yeah, so as always, get in touch. Let's get the email right this time. It's podcast at circa5000.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your ideas for uh, future episodes. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. And this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast.